today. And if it's not good to be saved today, maybe we need to get saved, and then you'll understand how good it is to be saved. But it is good to be saved today. And uh, oh, what a say! I was, I was, uh, I was telling some folks a while back. In fact, I've used, I've, I've mentioned this in our church a couple of times that when I was in college, and I couldn't remember who the preacher was, and and I couldn't remember uh, uh, what what the message, what the fullness of the message was. But I remember the 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 gist of the message in the co- in college was there ain't nobody like him. And speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the preacher, I remember I don't know how many times he'd preach about it. He'd say, there ain't nobody like him. And he'd preach some more and he'd say, there ain't nobody like him. And uh, I've I remembered that. It's, it's just sunk in my mind as I, I remember and, and oftentimes throughout the years as I've meditated and thought on the things of the Lord, the joy that he's brought to my heart. I've thought, Lord, there's nobody like you. Nobody like you. And uh, I'm reminded, we'll get to the message in a minute, I guess. But one of my wonderful, one of one of the wonderful parts of Scripture that I love and that just stirs my heart is after the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and Mary meets him in the garden, and she doesn't know who he is. And when he finally reveals to her who he is, he tells her, he says, "Go." And tell the disciples and Peter. I love that verse. Peter's the one that denied him three times. Could you imagine how Peter must have felt? The failure he must have felt. I mean, here's here's one of what we consider in hindsight to be one of the one of the inner three circle of, of the favorite disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ had failed him so tremendously in his time of need. And the one who had said at the Lord's Supper, Lord, even unto death I will not deny you. And yet, sure enough, he did, didn't he? Three different times he did. And I love that verse. Go tell his disciples, go tell my disciples and Peter. A little later, the disciples were out fishing on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is on the shore and he's cooking them fish and making a meal for them. Peter jumps off the ship and swims to shore if you remember the story. They have a wonderful time of fellowship and after the meal is over, Jesus gets Peter alone for a little bit. And he asked Peter, Lovest thou me more than these? And Peter said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He asked him a second time, and Peter said, Thou knowest I love thee. And he asked him the third time, and the Bible says this, that Peter was grieved in his heart because he asked him thrice. I read that, and I think I think the full impact of what Jesus did for Peter in that moment sunk in. That here's a man who had denied Jesus three times. I'm certain when Jesus appeared to the disciples in that upper room after he rose from the dead, Peter must have felt awkward. And Jesus goes out of his way to make sure that Peter knows, I'm coming to see the disciples, but make sure Peter knows. I want, I want him to know too. And then he gives Peter three more opportunities. Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. 
Go feed my sheep. Go feed my lambs. What a Savior. What a Savior. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to be yielded to Him. And I'll tell you, I mess up a a plenty in my life, and I'm thankful He is still faithful to me. And what a Savior He is. Well, now we'll get to the message. Are you ready? I guess we're there. 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you will. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse number 15, if you will, we're going to read one verse of Scripture and we'll spend the majority of our time here. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Father, we come to you once again. We ask for the next few moments that you would help us uh, as we take this verse and study some of the truth in it. That it will guide and direct us and help us to become more of what we should be. Father, if there's someone here today that does not know You as their Savior, they don't know if they were to die right now that they would go to heaven. There's never been a moment in their life, there's never been a time or a place where they have realized that they were a sinner and that there was nothing they could do to save themselves from the consequences of that. The place of hell that was prepared not for humans, but for Satan and his angels, and yet because of man's sin... We've been condemned there. That we would realize that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We cannot live enough good. We can't join enough churches. We can't be baptized enough. There's only one thing that we can do, and that is to put our faith, our trust, our dependence, to be forgiven of our sins and to be made righteous in your eyes to put all of that dependence upon what Christ has already done for us. That He has been our substitute. That He paid that price. And He gives to us His righteousness in place of our own. and gives us a home in heaven for all of eternity. Lord, I pray that every person in this room will have trusted Him as their Savior. And if not, that today would be the day that they would put their faith and trust You for that. And Father, I pray for Christians that are here, those that have been saved for some many, sometimes many, many years. And yet, Lord, sometimes we need to know some of the truths of Your Word and be reminded of some things. And our hearts, again, re- revived and stirred in some areas. And I pray that You would use the message this afternoon to do such a work in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We spent some time last hour in dealing with the idea of serving God, of being obedient to Him, laboring for Him, being the kind of Christian that we ought to be, regardless of the cost. In other words, there may come a time in our life where in order for us to be obedient to Christ, we may have to, it may cost us some things. We may have to sacrifice some things. Some of them may be tolerable. Some of them may be beyond what you would normally humanly ask of someone. But yet we should be willing to do that regardless of the cost. And so this afternoon I want to deal with the idea of this being a workman for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's four things that Paul teaches here in this particular verse about being a workman 
for the Lord and serving Him with our lives. And can I just kind of lay a preface here of a thought that should go without saying, and that is this, that if God has redeemed you from your sins, if you've been saved, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, can I tell you this? He has a work for you to do. If He didn't, there'd be no reason for us to stay here once we're saved. He could take us on to heaven right away. But He leaves us here because He has a work for every single one of us to do. There's something that He has in in store for our lives. There's a plan that He has for us. And Paul talks about four things here as he's instructing young Timothy about being a good workman. And a good workman, first of all, he says, is one that uh, puts forth the effort, as he tells him right at the beginning here, study to show thyself approved unto God. Now, that word study is not one we like. I remember growing up in high school, I didn't like studying. Uh, Going through college, I didn't like studying. I still don't like studying. Anybody here just love to study? Is that your favorite thing to do? You you need to go see a psychiatrist because something's wrong. (laughs) And uh, what we really do, most people I find that love to study, they don't really love the process of studying. They love what they gain from the process of studying. And so a lot of us do that. We enjoy. I study a lot. But it's not because I love studying. It's because I love what studying does for us. And so I put forth effort. I'm diligent to do so. And the first thing that we find here that is given is this idea of studying. And it's an imperative. It's, it's something that Paul says here, uh, this is something you should do. Uh, it's, it's something that you're supposed to do. And, and I would say this, in, in studying different languages and things, they have different tenses. And uh, this particular word in our English language is a, is a present tense. It's something that we should be doing right now, not something that we used to do, something we did back years ago when we first got saved, but something that we're supposed to be doing now. And when you wake up tomorrow morning and you read this verse, guess what? It's something you're supposed to be doing now. And the day after that, and the day after that. And so it's an ongoing command. It's not something that's done one time. It's not something that we're, you come to God's Word and we say, okay, I, I spent... Uh, 12 weeks going through this book, or uh, I spent a year going through the Bible, and so I've studied, and now I'm ready. No, no. This is something that should be a continuous thing. It's done in the present. And so there's a diligence. There's a, there's a, a, a consecration of yourself to it. There's a dedication of yourself to it to say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to study the Word of God. I'm going to make sure that I'm studying the things of the Lord. I want to make sure that if I'm going to be a workman for God, I want to do my very best. My daughter, my middle daughter is wanting to become a traveling nurse. And Lord willing, here in April, she's already been accepted. She's already put in her paperwork. And if God supplies the funds for her, she's going to be studying to be a nurse. And uh, she's, she's worked hard at it. She's, she's already gotten some other certifications. She got her, uh, her CPR certification. She's got a CNA certification. And she, I remember as she was going through those things that she was working long hours to pay for it. And she was staying up all hours of the night. She would call me sometimes after only having two or three hours of sleep saying, Dad, i got to go to work and I'm just so wore out. And I'd say, well, sis, you know, you, it, it'll be worth it all when you're all done with it. We sang the song a few moments ago. It'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. Why? Because there's been an effort given. There's been that that dedication, that consecration of ourselves to study. And a workman that is going to be a workman that is a, a, a workman for the Lord is someone who's going to dedicate themselves and they're going to they're going to give of themselves and they're going to sacrifice of themselves and it may 
cost them something to do so, but they're going to study. If I go to the doctor and I have gone recently more than I have ever in my life, and I've talked to a doctor, I want somebody that has been to the medical schools and knows what he's talking about. My dad was infamous. In fact, our family called him Dr. Dad because we never went to the doctor. If we had an ailment, my dad knew the diagnosis. Every single time he knew what the diagnosis was. It didn't matter what it was. Didn't matter what it was. I remember one time I had a piece of metal that shot in the side of my calf. And I, I said, Dad, I think I got a piece of steel in there. He said, No, no, you don't have a piece of steel in there. There's nothing in there. About a year later I was walking through the living room and had a pair of shorts on. There's a black dot on my on my calf where that metal went in. He said, Greg, what's that black dot on your leg? I said, Dad, that's where that metal went in about a year ago. He said, Come let me see that for a minute. And for the next hour, with his glasses on top of his head, he took a pair of tweezers and needles and dug into there. He said, I think there's something in there. I said, Dad, I tried to tell you a year ago. If I had gone to a doctor, he'd have seen it. In fact, the next day he takes me to the doctor. After he had spent an hour digging inside there and getting it all raw and tender, the doctor said, I don't think we need any anesthesia for this. I said, oh, yes, we do. We're not doing this without it. And you know, the doctor in about ten minutes healed something that my dad couldn't do in a year. What made the difference? One of them had studied to be a doctor. Isn't it amazing how much dedication people will give to studying to become the very best in their profession? About something that, yes, it's important in this life, but when taken in light of eternity is only important for a short period of time. When something that is important for eternity, we seem to never give the time to study. If I want to be a workman for the Lord, I need to be dedicated. I need to consecrate myself. I I need to be willing to stay up late hours. It may cost me some sleep. It may cost me a meal. It may cost me taking time out of my social schedule to do so. But may I be given to, to studying. May there be a diligence that's given there. I know people that have gone to college, and I don't know if your college experience was like mine, but I crammed six years in, uh, in, four years into six and did a really good job of doing that. And the reason I had to do it is I had to work my way through college. And I remember getting two hours, three hours, four hours of sleep a night. And I remember working 60 and 70 hours a week on top of 20 credit hours. And I remember the, the, the sacrifice that it was and, and getting to a place in my college career saying, I don't know if it's even worth it to continue to do this. I, I'm, just, I'm just burned out. I just don't have anything left. But we kept pressing on and we kept on until it was over. How often when it comes to the matters of eternity, we don't have the desire to study over something that means far more than just a career or just a profession. There needs to be a diligence. There needs to be effort put forth. There needs to be a continuation of it day by day. We need to be undeterred, undistracted. The things of studying the things of the Lord ought to the, the studying the things of the Lord ought to be the priority in our day. We ought not let other things come between our time of studying and the time that we spend living life and being concerned with the affairs of this life. Our time of study ought to be sacred to us. It ought to be something that's very powerful and moves us, strengthens us day by day. 
Notice secondly, he says, study, verse number 15, study to show thyself approved unto God. Can I tell you this? A workman needs to not only study in such a way that his study makes him approved unto God in the fact that he knows how to handle the Word of God well, he knows how to serve the God well, serve God well. But can I tell you this? He also knows how to live in such a way that his life matches his message. And there is an approval process. There's an accepting of God over workmen. And I'll tell you this, there are men that today claim to be workmen of God that by their lives certainly are not acceptable to God. They do not live according to Scripture. And while I know that none of us is perfect, and there are times that all of us will transgress the law of Scripture and go against what the Bible says at some point or another, it ought not be the heartbeat of the person to live worldly. There ought to be a desire for the things of the Lord. There ought to be a desire to live rightly and holy and righteous. And when the the times come where whatever the case was that caused us to go against what the Bible says, it ought to bring remorse to our heart. It ought to be a broken and a contrite spirit that comes back to God and says, Lord, forgive me for that. Give me the strength to never do that again. Why? Because we need to learn to be acceptable unto God. We need to learn to be approved by Him. When I stand before God one day and He looks at not only the effort that I gave to study, but He looks at the life that I lived that was the testimony that backed up the message that was being preached. Can He put His stamp of approval on Greg Boer and say, Greg Boer had an approved life. Put your name in there. Can He put your stamp of approval on your life? Can He look at the things you've done, the studying that you've done, and say, they've been approved? Can I tell you this, that when it comes to getting God's approval, it's not only about not doing what we're not supposed to do, but it's also about doing the things that we are supposed to do. And both of them are certainly important. A lot of times we pride ourselves, we pat ourselves on the back, we define ourselves by what we are not. I remember years ago, my dad used to have a saying, He'd say, I don't drink, smoke, chew, or run with those that do. And he would, he would say that to us kids oftentimes and say, guys, you need to have a testimony. You need to not drink and smoke and chew and run with those that do. And, and you ought not to uh, be around the worldly crowd all the time. And, and that, that certainly holds true. But just as important as it is for me to not be associated with that crowd, it is important that I associate myself with doing the things that the Bible says I should be doing. You say, well, how do I know what I should be doing? It comes from studying. As we study, we learn more and more. Here's what I shouldn't do. Here's what I should do. And and can I help you with something? What we should do and what we shouldn't do should not necessarily always be determined by what's right and what's wrong. Sometimes it may be determined by what's good and what's best. And choosing the best. Because you may have a choice between two things, and one of them is okay, but there's something that's far better that will bring more glory to the Lord. That will lift your life up and show the testimony of your life more in the eyes of an unsaved person. That's why I believe the Bible says that we're to abstain from all appearance of evil. Not just evil. Abstaining from evil would be a good thing, but abstaining from even the appearance of evil is a better thing. 
Having a standard that is, that is certainly spelled out in Scripture is one thing. Having a, a line drawn in your personal life that's even beyond that is an even better thing. And so we find that there should be not only a, a diligence and a, and a fervency and a, and a dedication to study, there ought to also be a, a willingness to be acceptable in the sight of the Lord. To try to do all that we can in our studying, in our learning of the Scriptures, in the life that we live, to be acceptable and approved unto God. Notice in verse 15 he says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. And he says this, A workman, notice this phrase, that needeth not to be ashamed. Can I tell you this? There ought to be a confidence in a workman. There ought to be a confidence in a workman. I've said this before, and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I get concerned about this when if a Christian, if a person gets saved, and just a few months after they're saved, they come to me and say, Pastor, I met this person. They're not saved. They've never trusted Christ as their Savior. And I didn't really know how to tell them how to be saved. Can you talk to them? I can understand that because they haven't been saved long. Although the only thing you really have to do is tell them what you did. But when we have people that have been saved 5, 10, 15 years that say, Pastor, I don't know how to tell somebody how to be saved. Can I tell you this? We're, we're not studying the Word of God the way that we should. There needs to be a confidence. There needs to be at least enough familiarity with handling this book that we have a confidence in the fact that we can, we can at least talk with people about it. And the more that we study it, and the more that we hide its words in our hearts, and the more we memorize its pages, the more the Holy Spirit has material to work with in our hearts. And as we speak to people, He can call to remembrance those things. If there's a lack of confidence, if there's a lack of... Don't get me wrong, you're looking at one of the most introverted people you've ever met. I'm not kidding you. The fact that God called me to be a pastor, I think He had to have had a sense of humor. I, I, I was so introverted as a young man, and still am to this day, that there were times I would sit in a chair, and if somebody sat two chairs away from me, I would freeze. I didn't want to look their way. I didn't want to talk to them. If they looked toward me or tried to talk to me, I pretended I didn't hear them. I was so embarrassed and so nervous to talk to people in general, not just about the things of the Lord. I'm talking about in general, just my personality was such. You're looking at one of the most anxiety-driven, introverted people you've ever met. And the fact that God called me to preach is one of those things that I'm looking at and thinking, Lord, seriously? I don't like to talk to people I don't know. I, it, it, I get nervous talking to people I don't know. But I have learned something over the years that the more we've studied Scripture and the more we just let the Bible bubble over in our hearts, just fill us up to overflowing... It just seems to come out naturally. And there's no, there's no nervousness about it. There's, there's, a, there's a boldness. There's a confidence that comes from that. And, and the most natural thing a Christian ought to be able to do is to talk about their Savior. My friend, Brother Wayne Korfman, said we, we're never embarrassed to talk about the ones we love. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, all of us have family members, don't we? And, and, you know, every family's got the, the, the one, you know, the one we're talking about. If you can't think of who it is, then you're it. <laughs> but 
here's the thing. No matter how different somebody in our family is, we love them. And I don't have a problem in the world talking to people about my kids. I don't have a problem in the world telling somebody how my mom's doing and, and things about my mom or my sisters or my brothers. I love them. And it ought to be the same with the Lord Jesus Christ. There ought not to be a, 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 an ashamed or a, an embarrassment to talk about the ones we love. And so there ought to be a confidence. Confidence is going to come by being prepared. By studying. Being prepared. And I wrote down three areas we ought to be prepared in. First of all, we ought to be prepared in the Word. That's where the studying comes in. Secondly, we need to be prepared in our walk. Our lifestyle ought to match that which we've learned from Scripture. And thirdly, we ought to be prepared in our will. To give our will to the things of the Lord. To say, Lord, not my will, but Thy will. It's amazing what God does, the extraordinary things that He does, with ordinary people that are willing to say, yes, Lord. I look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of my heroes in Scripture. An ordinary man. He's a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. There is nothing special about Nehemiah. But God used him to do an extraordinary work in the nation of Israel. Not only to bring about the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, but because of God's prospering him and blessing him, Ezra comes on the scene and great revival spreads through the entire country. All because a man by the name of Nehemiah said, I'm willing, Lord, hear my. That gives me hope. It ought to give some of you all hope. You don't have to be a somebody to be used by the Lord. But you need to be prepared. You need to study the Word. You need to live the Word. And you need to yield your will to Him. And lastly, he says this, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And then he says this, Rightly dividing the Word of truth. Number four, he needs to be capable. He needs to be capable. You say, how do I learn to understand the Bible rightly? What the Bible refers to as dividing rightly. How do I know when I read Scripture that what I'm thinking it means is, is what it means? I'm going to give you two, two ways to do it. Number one, whatever you think that means... Check it with the rest of Scripture. And if it contradicts anything else in Scripture, then you need to go back to the drawing board. It's not what it means. That will tell you how to figure out what it does not mean. You say, well, then how do I figure out what it means? You pray to the author of it for understanding. Well, who wrote the Bible? The Bible says... For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Jonathan, a while back, bought a 1948 Chevy two-ton farm truck, grain truck. We're going to, Lord willing, restore it sometime in the next century. (laughs) As we get some time. 
We've already begun talking about it, planning it. Things that we look at and we're like, well, that's different from today's cars. I don't, I don't understand. I don't know. But a few weeks ago, my daughter and son-in-law were visiting with us, and they were looking for some things to do one day, and we wanted to spend time together as a family. And we went up to uh, St. Louis, and there was a, a classic car place up there that my son-in-law, he sells cars, and he loves cars, he likes cars. And I said, well, maybe he'd like to go there. So we went over to the classic car place. On the back wall of that classic car place, they had cases of books, and I looked back there, and I brought Jonathan back and said, man, look at all these manuals. We looked along, and sure enough, they had a manual for a 1948 two-ton Chevy grain truck. It was about 150 bucks. <laughs> I said, we're not going to buy that one. But, but the, the, the whole illustration is this, and don't miss the point for the illustration. For us to know and understand how to fix that truck, we want to read some instructions that were written by the guy's that designed it and made it and knows how it works. If I want to know how to live the Christian life, I want a manual that is written by one that designed me and knows how I work and knows how I should serve. And it gives me understanding when I don't see something in Scripture that I understand for me to say, Holy Spirit, You're the one that wrote this. Help me to understand it. And I'll tell you this, more times than not, He brings understanding to it. Sometimes He brings understanding right away. And it's within just a short while. It just dawns on you, well, that's what that means. And it seems to fit and it matches the rest of Scripture. Sometimes, it may be later on, that you're reading somewhere else in Scripture and it sheds light on that truth. And then there's sometimes that you're talking to another brother or sister in Christ and you're sharing where you're at on that and they bring something to light that triggers a thought and all of a sudden it makes clear sense to you. But there is no substitute for seeking God's instruction and understanding in the things of His Word. So two ways that we can learn to be capable. First of all, compare Scripture with Scripture. Make certain that we're not taking something out of its context and making it read what we want it to read. And secondly, seek for the Holy Spirit to instruct and to guide our hearts in understanding the truth. And I promise you this, God is not some jester, some jokester, some trickster who dangles truth out in front of us like a carrot in front of a horse. And just about the time we got the grasp of it, He yanks it out from in front of us. That is not what God desires. God desires for you and I to know the truth of this book as much as we desire to know it. In fact, I would say He wants us to know it more than we desire to know it. And if we ask for His help in understanding His pages, I promise you, you will have His help in understanding His pages. Four things regarding being a workman. Diligent study, continuous study, putting forth the effort to study. Number two, being acceptable unto God, both in the way that we study and in the way that we live. Number three, having a confidence, being prepared in our word, being prepared in our walk, and being prepared in our will. And number four, being capable.
being able to handle this word effectively. You say, where in the world do I start? That's a big book. If I was a new Christian and I had never really studied this Bible, you know where I, you know what the first thing I would do would be? I'd learn the books of the Bible in order so I could at least find my way through the Scriptures. I'd start there. I'd start reading books of the Bible, not for the sake of how much I could read, but for the sake of understanding. That may mean I only read two or three verses a day. I would ask other brothers and sisters in Christ things. Say, I was reading this passage and I thought this about it. What do you think? And there's no substitute for praying and saying, Lord, I need your help. I need your help to understand this. So I hope that will be a help to us as we, as we study and we labor. I don't know about you, but I would like to get to heaven one day and hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't want to be ashamed. I want to be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. It's instruction to us. It's guidance to us. Lord, I do pray that You would stir our hearts. Lord, help us to desire these things, to long to be 